We good? All right, great. Looks good to me. We are going to look at the Word this morning, so I'm going to invite you to join me in the book of Titus, a little letter from the Apostle Paul to Titus, who was overseeing the church there on the island of Crete. And Paul was helping Titus know how to teach and lead the church there. And we've been looking at the book of Titus together with this idea of learning and living. So we learn what God's Word says and we live by it. That sounds like growth, doesn't it? Green for growth. And as we learn God's Word and we live it out, then we grow. And as we've been in Titus chapter 2, we have been looking at these different groups of people that uh, Paul tells Titus to challenge and to encourage and to help them grow. And he addresses the the older men and the older women and the younger women, and we've been talking about all of these. And then in Titus chapter 2, verse 6, he comes to another category. And he says in Titus 2, verse 6, Likewise, exhort the young men. So how many of you would say, that's me? (laughs) All right, okay. Well, it kind of depends, doesn't it? Because it's relative. And honestly, in, in Paul's day, that probably referred to 50 and younger, or under 50. We might put it that way. So that might include a few more of you um, than, than you thought. But the interesting thing is, the quality that Paul told Titus to challenge young men about, he brought up in almost every other category. So this quality really is for everyone, older men, older women, younger men, younger women. And in verse 6, he says, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Now, if you're looking at at these verses and you look in verse 7, it sounds like he's continuing to talk talk about young men. And he may be, but but really in in verse 7, he starts addressing Titus himself, doesn't he? Yourself. So we're going to hold off on verses 7 and following and talk about that in relation to people in ministry, because that's something that you as a church are praying about and praying for. So we'll, we'll handle that separately. So today we're just going to look at verse 6. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. So if you raised your hand or not, this probably has something for you here today. Uh, every year, hundreds of people attempt to climb the summit of the world's highest mountain. Anybody know what the world's highest mountain is? It's Mount Everest, that's right. It's over 29,000 feet in elevation. That's, that's five and a half miles high. And it's extremely dangerous. And people regularly die making this attempt. A few years ago, a 24-year-old young man from Israel, whose name was Nadav ben Yehuda, attempted to climb Mount Everest. And he had planned for this and trained for it and invested a lot of money and and years of his life in preparing for this. And if he succeeded, he would have been the youngest Israeli to reach the peak of Mount Everest. So on the day that he and the group he was with were attempting to to reach the summit, and it goes in stages, They, they stay at various base camps as they work their way up, and then on a particular day they watch the weather, and there's just a few hours of a window of time that they have to reach the summit and on the day that, that he, along with a group of climbers, attempted to, to make the summit, he was within 300 meters of achieving his goal. That stage of the climb, I understand, certainly not from experience, 
is extremely difficult because exhaustion begins to take over. And there's just a depletion of physical resources and stamina and the cold and the brutal winds are very strong against them. And then they're fighting for oxygen at that point. And, and climbers are collapsing. They're falling right and left. And Ben Yehuda was actually passing climbers who had collapsed. And some of them were obviously dead. They had died. And they're along the trail. And as he came near one fallen climber, he realized it was a man that he had met in one of the base camps. He was a man from Turkey. His name was Aydin Irmek. And Irmek was unconscious. And Ben Yehuda knew that if he left him there, the man would certainly die, like the others. None of the climbers stopped to help him. They were all pressing on toward the goal. And Ben Yehuda knew that if he stopped, he would not achieve his goal. He would not summit Everest. He did stop. He yelled at Ermac, and, and woke him up, and Ben Yehuda used a climbing harness to strap this man to himself and carry him on his back, back to the base camp, which was nine hours of descent down the side of Mount Everest. So he saved his life. And the point that I'm making in telling this story is that Ben Yehuda made a choice, didn't he? He had a very strong, compelling, personal ambition. He had a goal, and he was pouring his life into reaching that goal. But he made a choice. He weighed the value of achieving his goal with the value of a human life, one man's life. And I think that uh, both would agree that he made the right choice. And the bond that that formed afterward, and, and part of the remarkable aspect of this is that uh, Turkey was no friend the nation of Turkey was no friend to the nation of Israel. And uh, here are these two men who would have been normally in hostility toward one another, politically and nationally and ethnically, uh, were united in a bond of, of rescue and of a life-saving experience. So Ben Yehuda weighed what was important and chose something of higher value. And this is an example of what Paul is trying to tell us here in Titus chapter 2, verse 6, when he says, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. The word sober-minded means to, to be sensible, to use good judgment, to not be controlled by personal ambition or physical appetites or passions or emotions or to be shaped just by the circumstances around you, or follow what the people around you are doing, following the crowd. It means to think clearly and to make good decisions. And so, I'm speaking to young men, but all of us really, we should not allow personal ambition to shape our lives, or what everybody else is doing or not doing to determine what we do, but something more important, something of much higher value. And as young men, it's important to learn what is truly valuable, what is right, what is good, and to, to live accordingly. And as I've thought about this idea of, of younger men, I've divided it into a couple of stages, and I want to just list off some potential challenges or tests of living this way, of using good judgment and thinking sensibly and weighing out choices in life and making the choice that will follow what God wants for you and is best for you. So let's talk about early manhood 
early manhood. So let's say up to maybe 30-something years old. You are making major life choices. You're making choices about your vocation, choices about your worldview, choices about your priorities, choices about dating and marriage and, and family and parenting. You're making financial choices. You're making choices with how you're going to make money, how you're going to spend money, whether you're going to save money, how you're going to invest, and what you're going to give to the Lord and to others, to people in need. You're making financial choices. You are beginning to recognize what your strengths are. You're starting to understand your personality, what kind of person God made you to be. You are learning skills. You're forming friendships. You are developing a relationship with God. You're starting to, to have your own. If you grew up in a home where you were guided in, in your spiritual life and in walking with God and reading the Bible and things like that, you're starting to, to form your own relationship with God. And your view of God, of who God is, now it's not just something that people have passed on to you. You are starting to think about who God is for yourself. And you're making plans. And, and if, whether or not you have written goals or some very specific goals, you, you do have some type of ambition. Or maybe you lack ambition. Maybe you just don't have any, any drive, any, any sense of what the future might be. You are making choices related to sexual purity. You're making choices related to the use of your time. Lifestyle choices. So, so possibly for you, as a younger man, but again, any of us, what would you say is the area of, of challenge, the area where you're being tested, the area where you are weak, the area you would say you need to grow in being sensible and using good judgment? And then we can advance that forward to, to midlife, 30s, 40s, and there are areas where you and I need to be sensible as well. There are tests, there are trials, there are temptations to co- that come with us during those, those times. If you're married, as a husband, if you have children, as a parent, there are tests and challenges of being sensible. You may be recovering from some bad choices during that stage of your life. You made some uh, some foolish choices, some sinful choices earlier in life as a younger man. And now you are trying to recover from those. You go through physical changes. Your body grows weaker. Sometimes you might have serious health problems that you face during that time. You are growing in your walk with God. You are engaging in some kind of ministry. You might have unfulfilled expectations and look back over your life and think, oh, I've been pouring my life into this job or, or this path, and it just doesn't seem to be playing out very well, or I'm, I'm not as fulfilled as I thought I would be. Or you're experiencing change, a change of job, a change of location. And there are challenges. Again, for you, what is the greatest challenge? What decision do you have to make? What responsibilities are you facing? Is there a way that you need to learn to use good judgment during this time? And there are dangers, aren't there? We do foolish things. We, we see a commercial and we want what they're selling. Uh, we, we hear an appeal that sounds promising and we, we want to buy in. Uh, we feel the, the urge of a temptation and we indulge. We do make foolish choices and follow our impulses. We think that immediate gratification is what it's all about, rather than long-term fruit. Sometimes we fail to get good counsel. We make choices without seeking advice 
and do something maybe that we pay for later. So all kinds of reasons that we need to be thinking about this, many ways that we need to be open to God teaching us and showing us how to be sensible. So the way that we're going to approach this today is, is by looking at some other texts of Scripture, because he just uses this one word here, this one idea in verse 6. We're going to trace this out a little bit through Scripture and see what Scripture has to say to and about young men. So I'm going to ask you to, to go with me. I'm putting the, uh, the references up here on the screen. So we're going to go, first of all, back to our Old Testament, to the book of Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and uh, I, I encourage you, especially younger men, to write these references down and go back and look over them later, maybe pray over them and ask God to teach you and show you how they might help you. This is God's word to young men, God's word to young men, and uh, this is Solomon, the wisest man in the world, <coughs> who's writing. And look at what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, starting in verse 9. Ecclesiastes eleven nine. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these God will bring you into judgment. Oh boy. He's saying, hey, you're young, you have your life ahead of you, you can pretty much do what you want, you can make choices about how you're going to live, but here's something to keep in mind, he says, there is a judgment, there is an accountability that we have to God for how we live. So, so enjoy, rejoice, enjoy what's good about being young, you don't have to feel badly about that. You don't have to apologize for the, the strength and the fun and the, the joy of youth. But remember that you are responsible to God. When he says God will bring you into judgment, I think from our perspective now, we can say that, that for unbelievers, there's the great white throne judgment where we, we will be judged according to our works. And we know that, that our works are insufficient to please God and to be accepted by God because all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before God. But the righteousness of Jesus Christ is transferred to us when we believe in Jesus to save us and we become righteous before God and so so we have a right standing with God. But if you're a believer, you have the opportunity to live your life in a way that will count for eternity And the Bible describes the judgment seat of Christ where our works will be tested as to whether they have eternal value or not. So so think about your life right now. Let's say you've passed 15 years old, let's just say. I'm just picking a number. And you have 25 years old, still ahead of you. You haven't turned 25 yet. Think of that slice of life. And as you think in terms of giving an account to your heavenly Father, to the Lord Jesus Christ, for what you've done in that time of life, how will you do? Will there be anything that that would come through that judgment and that test where, where the Lord Jesus Christ would say, well done, you did something for me in that stage of your life as a young man? Or between 20 and 30, or 20 and 40, or put whatever number you would like to on there. What did you do? In your teens, in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s, is there anything to show for that? 
And he says, therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. So Solomon's perspective there is uh, that life is empty apart from God. And he's saying we should live for something that matters. Um, Look at what he goes on to say in chapter 12, verse 1. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. What he's saying is, there's a God who made you. You have a creator. And keep, keep the God who made you in the center of your thoughts. Remember him now, right? Keep him in the center, not out in the margins or on the fringes or pushing thoughts of God away, but keep the God who made you central in your thoughts. And, and don't wait, he says, before the difficult days come. In other words, don't, don't wait until you're too old. Don't wait until, until your strength is gone. Don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait until you've used up those years of life and strength of youth. No, he says, make God the center of your life now. Don't wait until you're older. So so being sensible means knowing truth like this, knowing this kind of truth, that we do give an account, that we are responsible to God, and making choices by it with how you spend your time, how you use your energy, the opportunities that your Creator gives you to know Him and to, to serve Him. Live these years so that you will have something of eternal value to show for it, is the idea. Now we're going to go to another New Testament passage, this one in uh, the book of Joel. I've got a few references up there, but we'll start here in the first one, the book of Joel. So over a little bit to the right, Hosea, Joel, Amos. One of those little ones might be hard to uh, put your finger on, but I'm getting there. All right, Joel chapter 2. And we're going to link a few texts together as we look at this thought. And the, the, the idea that, that I think they all show us is that you as a young man have a key role in God's gospel work in the world. You as a young man have a key role. You are key in God's gospel work in the world. So here in, in Joel chapter 2, Joel prophesies by God's inspiration about how God is going to work in the days to come. And look at what he says in Joel 2 verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And we know that that, that was initiated when Christ had died and been raised from the dead. He ascended back to heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit as he promised he would do. And the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and and filled those people. And that lit the fire of the spread of the gospel through those apostles and through those first Christians. And he's saying, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. In other words, he's talking about God's work in the world and what he would unleash after Christ arose and after he ascended and the Holy Spirit came. I think the point of this is that God will use young men to speak and to speak of him, to to speak the words that point people to him. He will use you. I think I've shared with you that I was eight years old when a nine-year-old boy, said to me, 
Dean, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? And God used that little boy, wasn't even a young man yet, used that little guy to point me to my need to believe in Jesus to be saved. And I did very soon after that. And God used him. God uses little boys. God uses young girls. God uses teenage young men. He uses men in their 20s to accomplish his work in the world. Now look all the way over in the New Testament, the book of 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, starting in verse 13. I'll start with verse 12. First John 2, 12. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write to you fathers, First John 2, verse 13, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning, and I've written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of, God's abide in you, word, of, word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, John may be talking about spiritual life and spiritual growth and maturity when he uses these categories of, of little children and fathers and, and young men. It's likely he's doing that. So he's talking about people who are newly saved, talking about people who have been saved for a while, talking about people who are in the process of growing. But, but if you were saved, let's say, as a child or as a teenager, certainly this includes you. And I think there is an implication here, too, as well, that, that in that younger phase of life, in those earlier years of life, he's saying this is, this is, this is what it's like for you. So he says in verse 13, you've overcome the wicked one. So, so you as a young man have opportunities to resist temptation and to have victory over sin and to repel with, with, the, with the sword of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, which is the word of God, which Jesus used to battle Satan when he tempted him, right? You, you do battle. You're engaged in spiritual battle, and you can be victorious in those battles. You can actually overcome the wicked one. And then... Again, in verse 14, you are strong, and the word of God abides in you. So as a young man, you're learning the Bible. You are memorizing verses, possibly. You're hearing the stories, and you become familiar with what the Bible's all about, and you know more Bible than a lot of people, maybe, within a mile radius of this church do. You know a lot of the Bible. So, so you have energy, you've developed courage, you have learned truth, you can win victories over Satan, and so God can use you, and he honors you for that, and gives you opportunities to fulfill that. So I think there's a challenge there to use your mind and your body and, and maintain your purity and devote your life to these things, overcoming the wicked one, being strong, letting the word of God abide in you, because you are key in God's gospel work in the world. He says, I'm writing to you because you are these things. You have a key role. You're an example. You're an example. And then I won't have you turn there, but, uh, but Proverbs 20, verse 29 says this, The glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of old men is their gray head. We give honor to, to a man with, with gray hair because we respect his age. We respect his maturity, right? He has a level of, of honor because of that. 
And he says, for, for young men, your glory is your strength. Physically, you have energy, you can accomplish things. Somebody says, oh, I'm not sure if we can do that or not. You're like, oh yeah, we can do that. Boom, we got it done, right? Because you're, you're energetic, you're on it. Well, that's great. So that's a source of honor, but also with that comes responsibility. Use that energy, use that strength. Get it done for the Lord and in his work and for his glory. Now we're going to go back to the Old Testament. We're moving around a little bit. We're going to go to the, to the, um, the book of Jer- excuse me, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. So look with me at Isaiah chapter 40. This is a beautiful text of Scripture for all of us, but I do want to make the connection to young men today. Isaiah chapter 40, <coughs> starting in verse 27. Isaiah 40, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? I'll stop for a second. He's encouraging the people, God's people, God's chosen people, because of their their failures, their disobedience, their disloyalty to God, their idolatry. They were under God's chastening. But he's saying, God will rescue you. He will bring you through. He will purify you. He will restore you. So even though you are faltering, even though it seems like like God is distant from you, he's saying, God doesn't faint. He is not weary. His understanding is unsearchable, verse 29. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Verse 30, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. So you are still vulnerable as a young man, whether you're young spiritually or young by age. You are still vulnerable. You have limitations. You can't do it all, especially when it comes to spiritual life and spiritual victory. But, verse 31, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So the challenge here to young men is to be strong, but not in your own resources. Not to rely on your youthfulness, your, your physical energy, and, and even mental acuity and making decisions by just what you, you think you know but to be strong in God, to be strong in the Lord. Because if you try to do these things in your own strength, you will, you'll wear down. And uh, one day you'll realize that you cannot do it yourself. There are battles that you cannot win. There are forces that you cannot overcome. There are temptations that in your own strength you may not be able to resist. There are uh, captivating elements. There are addictions um, there are enslavements that you and I cannot free ourselves from in our own strength. So what he's telling us to do is to not be overconfident, to remember that you are inadequate. And aren't those beautiful words, those who wait on the Lord? And the, the waiting is, is not just sitting in a waiting room and, you know, scrolling your phone and, you know, looking around and kind of hoping something's going to happen pretty soon. It's not that idea of waiting. Waiting with God is an active waiting. It's the idea of resting. 
It's the idea of trusting. Yes, it requires patience. Yes, it involves not having everything happen on your timetable when you think it should. And sometimes we can grow impatient, can't we? Especially as young men. I want to get there. I want to do this. I want to make it happen. I want to wait around for all this stuff to come into place. But sometimes we wait on God. I'll say this as well. Sometimes we wait on God. But um, sometimes God does move very quickly in our lives. And all of a sudden we're faced with a choice. We are faced with an opportunity. We are faced with, with a need to make a decision. And it's very clear that God is, is opening it up for us. <laughs> when we uh, moved here in 2016, we were in South Carolina. And uh, I was pastoring there. We were very involved in, in our church there in South Carolina. And reached the decision that it was time for us to be open to God's direction. There was something else God has for, had for us at that time, not even knowing really what that was. And uh, so resigned and stepped back from, from that ministry. And we were ready to wait on God. And I said, I don't know what I'll be doing. I may be mowing lawns or whatever it takes for us to, you know, to have our needs provided for. And through that time was when um, somebody that knew Faith Baptist Bible College and knew of the, the teaching position that was open there for someone to teach pastoral studies. And they said, hey, can we give them your name? And I said, Sure. And within a month of resigning from being the pastor of that church, we had been hired to come to Faith Baptist Bible College and move to Iowa. So that next few months between April and August, when we started at the college, there were a lot of pieces that had to, had to work out, had to fit together. Selling a home, buying a home, you know, the move. My mother lived with us, so figuring out how that was going to work and all of that. And, and the way that I, I phrased it during that time was sometimes you wait on the Lord and sometimes you have to run to keep up <laughs> because God is moving very quickly. And that's how it worked at that time in our lives. So, so waiting means trusting and resting. And sometimes there is a period of time that we have to be patient with circumstances and people and even God. But, but other times the way opens up and we need to be ready to move, ready to follow God's leading, ready to do his will. So, so the challenge to young men to be strong in him means to rest in his strength. It means to follow his lead. Follow his lead. Know how God's word is guiding you. How, what does God's word have to say about this decision or this temptation? Or how I'm going to invest my time or my strength or the direction of my life? How does God's word guide me? And how is the Holy Spirit directing me during this time as well? There sometimes is a personal direction the Holy Spirit gives to us. Are you open to that? Young man, are you, are you open-hearted before God, saying, God, I am open to anything you want for my life, any direction you want to take me? So it involves resting in his strength, following his lead, and going at his pace, going at his pace, waiting on the Lord, getting your strength renewed, mounting up with wings as eagles, and, and running at times, right? Running. So following God and going at his pace and ultimately giving him the glory. He is the one who receives the credit. He is the one who strengthens you. And some of you know, you can look back over decades of life and say, yeah, there were some challenges, there were some temptations. I've had some failures. But I look back and I see God's grace, his hand of grace traced on my life. And I can say that it's by his grace I am where I am today. 
And I praise him for that. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You will be able to do what God puts ahead of you, what he puts before you. And he'll receive the glory for that. Another interesting uh, truth that, that I find related to young men is over in the book of 1 Timothy. And so, so let's go there. Let's go in our New Testaments to the book of 1 Timothy. Right before Titus where we started out. And in 1 Timothy, um, Paul is instructing now not Titus in this case, but another of his protégés, Timothy, another of his mentees, as Paul mentors him, another mentee here, we might say. And uh, he's coaching and guiding Timothy in how to provide leadership in, in the church where he was. And uh, he's telling him how to interact with different, different people. And he says in 1 Timothy 5, verse 1, he says, Timothy, don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. So if you have to challenge an older man about something in his life, show some respect, right? Approach him respectfully. You might have to point out a fault or, or a sin or an area where he needs to grow, but make sure you do it respectfully. Don't just, just flat out rebuke him. Exhort him as a father. But then notice how, how Paul tells Timothy to treat younger men. Same thing, if you have to challenge or confront or, or rebuke a younger man, he says, he says, treat younger men as brothers, as brothers. And then older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. So he's talking to Timothy about how he relates to these different groups of people in his church, these different categories of individuals, depending on, again, their, their age in relation to him. And, and he says, don't just, don't just uh, grab a young man by the, by the shirt and say, hey, buddy, Shape up, right? Or, or think of a younger man in a demeaning way. Well, you're young, you don't know much, so you just need to listen to what I say, right? I'm the boss. No, he says, treat him as a brother. Approach him with some respect. I think there's a lesson here for, for all of us. So if Paul's telling Timothy to treat younger men this way, it's good for all of us to think in, in these terms. Younger men do deserve a level of respect. And Paul is telling Timothy as a pastor, handling a problem saying, treat, treat him like you would your brother. And that means your brother that you love, your brother that you care about and have some respect for. And there is a challenge for us, I think, as, as older men or as uh, people farther along in life in a congregation. How do we view younger people? Are they just sort of invisible? Um, if they have opinions or questions, do we just disregard those? Or do we discount those because of their age or lack of experience or immaturity? Are we willing to, to sometimes listen and treat younger people with a level of respect? We want to encourage them. We want to appreciate them. We want to pray for them. We want to listen to them. And especially as younger people grow into adulthood, I teach college students. I, I don't call them kids. Um, you know, you college kids, I like to talk to my pastoral students as men. I say, all right, men, and, and address them that way because that's what they are. Now, some are still maturing, right? Some might still sometimes act like, you know, um, teenager, junior high, or whatever, but, uh, but they're growing into men. They should be. And, and so I want to encourage that. And so just thinking in terms of how we address them and respecting the choices that they make, warning and cautioning them about wrong choices and dangerous directions in life for sure, but sometimes there are choices they make within that range of what Scripture would allow, and we respect that and we let them know that. 
So young men do deserve a level of respect. And I would say to young men, uh, be respectable. Earn that respect. Um, that's important as well. So let's just think in terms of our whole uh, study that we're looking at uh, through, through the book of Titus here about learning and living. And so I would say ways to, ways to be sensible, ways to, to be sober-minded, as, as Paul says to Titus back in Titus chapter 2, verse 6. Exhort the young men to be sober-minded, which I've just try, attempted to do here this morning. So how can you do that? Well, do what Paul's telling Titus to teach those people to do in in Crete, to learn and live. So not only learn truth, not only know the word, not only memorize the verses, not only hear the sermons, not only, not only listen to the Sunday school lessons, but live. Live them out. Do them. Continually expose your mind and heart to truth. Read the word daily. Have a daily intake of the word. Treat it like food. You're not going to miss a meal, probably, if you can help it. You're going to eat couple or three times a day or more as a young man. You need spiritual nourishment. So learn and live. Take in the food of the word and then live accordingly. Let it transform your life. Make choices by it. And sometimes you might need to have help and guidance in doing that. Another very important point with all of this is that we, we do this by walking in the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. He is our internal guide. We are led of the Spirit. As many as are led of the Spirit, capital S, are the children of God. If you are saved, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And, and He, he co- co- coordinates His work in your life with the truths of the Word of God. So He is, he is addressing those to your heart. He is, he is connecting those truths to situations in life. So listen to the Spirit. Have a yielded heart. Be open to anything that God wants you to do and pray for that guidance. We can very easily be guided and governed by our self, our self-will, selfish indulgence, our lusts, our appetites, our passions, our reactions. Oh man, those will get us in trouble, won't they? Reacting to people, reacting to circumstances, frustration on the job with family. We react. Don't be governed by those reactions. Walk in the Spirit. Let the Spirit control you. And then, have a mentor. A mentor is just somebody who speaks into your life and guides you, helps you through the challenges, has already walked the path, has already driven the road, and just says, hey, here's what it's going to be like, or here's some things you might face, and here's some things to keep in mind. Maybe they answer your questions. It's important for us to have someone like that in our lives. If it's your dad, that's awesome. That's great if it's your dad. And as dads, we certainly should have that role. But you might want to ask someone if, if you don't have that person in your life or maybe you are not living in a situation where you have immediate access to your father. Or in some cases, he's not a spiritually mature man. And so we might need to look elsewhere and think in terms of who is there. And, and that's where we as a church need to be ready, right? We as, as growing and maturing men in the church need to be willing to be mentors. And maybe you, you look around and you think, well, I don't know that anybody here needs that, but hopefully God's going to bring some more. And there will be some young men sitting in these seats who are new Christians, who are going through those early stages of spiritual life, who are vulnerable to temptation, maybe who are coming out of a lifestyle of sin, And they need some coaching. They need some attention and some love. It takes time to do this. 
So open your life to this as a young man. Desire it. Seek it. And all of us should be this kind of person as well. And this is something your mom says, right, or your dad. Just become responsible. There, there's a trend in, uh, we'll call it society, of, of young men not really growing up, not learning to work and provide an income, not learning to establish their own household, not learning to, to love another person enough to, to uh, persuade them, to marry them, <laughs> um, and, and just kind of staying kids, right? Kind of having a goof-off phase from when they maybe are 18, 19, 20 until they're 30 or 32 or 35. Well, it's time to grow up. It's time to man up and, and to be responsible. So, so those years of life as a young man, as you're transitioning from being a child into being a young adult, are a time to realize, oh, yes, we can have a good time and our fun, but it's not me time. It's not just fun time. It's time to transition to adulthood. Time to learn and live. Time to not just think of yourself, but to serve others. How can I serve others? How can I care for other people? How can I help people who are in need? How can I take that energy and that drive and maybe even these huge blocks of time that I have that I can do whatever I want with and use those to minister to somebody else or to help a church grow and thrive? And then think long-term. Young men tend to think about the next thing lunch, (laughs) right? (laughs) The next thing we're going to eat, what am I going to have for lunch? Or what am I going to do Saturday afternoon? Or what am I going to do tonight? And we just think about the next thing, right? But learn to think long-term. Think about your life ahead. Think about the, 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 the near future and the distant future, and think about eternity. Think about Nadav ben Yehuda within yards of his goal, saying, no, there's something more important, this man's life. And he made a choice that really had a long-term impact for both of them. It's amazing how the decisions that we make have long-term impact. The decisions you make now have impact for years and years and for a lifetime. So make good decisions, make wise decisions. Now remember, this is not just a list of, of things to work on or things to do so that God will be nice to you and and bless you. And remember, if if you're back here in Titus chapter 2, remember that he says in verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So it's God's grace that guides and motivates you to do these things, not just spiritual checklist or religious chores. God has been so good to you, right, by saving you so you can live your life for him. I'm going to ask us to pray together. And if you raised your hand a little while ago, if you would consider yourself as a young man, just before I pray, in the quietness of your heart, how do you need to be a sober-minded young man? How do you need to grow? Open your heart to God. Maybe there is sin that needs to be confessed. Receive God's forgiveness. Maybe you need help from someone, a dad, a friend. 
resolve to seek that help. Maybe you're facing a choice right in front of you very soon or even immediately. Ask God to help you do that with wisdom, to be sensible and wise, spiritually minded. Father, we do thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love poured out to us. Help all of us, I pray, to live wisely for your glory. For we know that is, in fact, what will bring us great blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Our, uh, after